Morning. We're going to continue our series in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 25. That's the passage we're going to be looking at this morning. Could you use some good news, some encouragement? You've come to the right place. I want to share with you all some encouragement. You know, one of the reasons we are at the place we are as a church getting ready to break ground next year on our own building is because of God's grace on our church and because of the generosity of you all who come here. But I want to encourage you with this. There are people all over the country and all over the world that believe in what we are doing here at the Oasis and support our ministry. And I wanted to share one with you uh, today because I just received this last week. Uh, Let me say this first, as the pastor of the church, and I believe any pastor, a pastor should not know what people are giving or how much they are giving to the ministry, but every once in a while, a gift to our church comes directly to me because it's not from someone that actually is part of our church normally. So to make a long story short, I meet every once in a while with uh, a gentleman here in the area that the Oasis is not his home church. But last week as we met for breakfast, uh, he handed me a check from his uncle. This man uh, I have talked to before. He is 93 years old. He lives in Augusta, Arkansas. He is a World War II, Korean War, and Vietnam War veteran. He is an amazing man. He listens to the podcasts of our services every week. And he bought one of my devotionals last year. And he tells me he reads it every day. And he wanted to send a check to our church, to our building fund for $500. Yeah. So... I just want you all to know that you're not the only ones out there that believe in what we are doing, that there are many others and they support our ministry and they pray for us. And we just thank God for folks like Uncle Bob in Arkansas. And we're going to see him in heaven one day. And he's going to say, I was that dear gentleman from Arkansas that helped you all get that building over there on Greenfield Road. Well, today we're continuing our series in the book of Ephesians. And Paul has talked to this local church in Ephesus about the fact that God wants to manifest His glory in the church. Ephesians 3.21 He wants to be so present and prevalent in the people of God at the church of Ephesus, that he can make himself known through that group of people. And folks, God still has that desire today to take a group of people like us here at the Oasis and manifest who he is through us. And Paul now has been talking throughout this letter about, and this is how God can accomplish that. And so last week, we talked about the fact that you and I as believers, when we become a Christian... We do not get rid of the old nature. The old nature stays with us that Paul calls the old man. It's still there. But God, when we are saved, gives us a new nature. 
a new man, if you will, to live by rather than living only by our flesh, only by the, the, the person that we are without Christ. Now we have this new nature that we can live by, the divine nature that Peter talks about because we've become partakers of that divine nature. And so last week, very unusually for me, I showed a short clip from the movie The Incredibles where Frozone is looking for his super suit. Where's my super suit? And I said to us that in, in a very you know, parallel way, that's how we should look at our new nature. That it is this super suit that God has given to each of us as believers to live in every day. But it's up to us to put it on. That so many Christians live their life with their super suit, if you will, their new nature, nature, hanging in the closet and trying to navigate life and becoming, you know, more like Christ and all of that through the old nature rather than the new nature. And we saw that that just can't happen. There's no way that we can accomplish the things of God and reach our potential in Christ and be who God created us to be in the old man. We've got to do it in the new man. So the main thing that we saw last week in verse 24 was where Paul says, so put on the new man. Put on that super suit. Well, if we have a super suit, if we have the divine nature, then that also means we have superpowers as well. That's why I said it, it's amazing to me that we live in a culture that is enamored with superheroes that are make-believe. They're not real. And yet when you think about what the Bible teaches, the reality of God's Word about us as Christians, we really are, through Christ, not on our own, but through Christ, superheroes in the sense that we possess supernatural ability and power through the Lord. And we don't ever think about ourselves that way, nor do we think about our fellow believers that way as well. Well, if that be the case, there's a couple things then in the passage before us that Paul wants to remind us of that connects to our use of this new nature and our super suit. One is that he did not give this to us just for ourselves, just for our benefit. I want you to notice in verse 30 of chapter 4 that the Bible tells us that we as believers are sealed for the day of redemption. Now, without going into all of that today, simply what Paul is saying is you realize as a Christian that your destiny has been sealed, if you will. That, that everything God promised about our future is going to happen to us if we are a true born-again believer in Jesus Christ. We are sealed. We have been given the guarantee of the Holy Spirit who will live within us until that day of complete release, which is what the day of redemption is. The day where we lay aside in death or at the rapture this old nature once and for all and we come into a whole new existence with God. So Paul is saying, look, you're sealed. Your future is guaranteed. But God didn't leave us on this earth just to live for ourselves. Why did God not just take us up to heaven the moment we accepted Christ as our Savior? Wouldn't that have been wonderful? Saved one second, in heaven the next. Why does God not do that? Why does he leave us here? Because he wants our life here on this earth. As long as he gives us to live, to be a life 
that impacts and influences other people in a positive way for him. That's why he leaves us here. That's what will give our life purpose and meaning and fulfillment is when you and I stop living for ourselves and start realizing that God has made us part of his body and left us on this earth so that we can positively impact and influence other people for the kingdom, for Jesus. But to do that, I've got to put on the new man. And to emphasize that aspect of it, notice up in verse 25, that at the very end of the verse, he says, we are members of one another. That means we belong to each other. That means we have a responsibility and an obligation to one another, which is what Paul's been hammering on the whole letter. He's saying you realize that when God made you part of his body, you all then are interconnected to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, which means our life will either positively or negatively affect those around us. And that's true whether they're saved or they're not saved. It's not a question of, will my life make an impact or influence on others? That's not the question. Because even if I say, I'm not interested, I, I, I don't want to make an impact on anybody, I don't want to influence anybody, well, that's your choice, but that's a negative. Because God says, I left you here. So that I can use your life as you grow in me and grow up in Christ to make a positive difference in other people around you. You belong to one another. You are members of one another. In fact, in this passage, I want to show you this. And then we'll get to these superpowers today that God has given us through the new nature. Notice in the verse on verse 30 where he talks about us being sealed for the day of redemption. He also says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed till the day of redemption. And many Christians take this verse out of context and quote it, but they forget the context that it's in. And notice, and we're going to notice it even more at the, by the end of this message, that the context that this verse is in has everything to do with how my life positively or negatively affects other people. So Paul is first saying this. He's declaring to us this truth. The God who lives within us, we can break his heart. We can cause God deep emotional pain. Many times as human beings, I think we don't think that. He's God. He can't be hurt. He can't be grieved. Yes, he can. The Bible says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not cause the Holy Spirit deep emotional pain. Do not break his heart. And what's the context? How we treat each other. And whether our life is making a positive impact or influence on others or a negative. And basically, Paul's saying here, we're going to see it. Paul's saying when you and I use our life, our precious life, a life that is like a vapor, a life that appears for a short time and then vanishes away. This brief earthly life. Paul says when we use it to simply live for ourselves or we're so careless and complacent about the way we are living as Christians that our life becomes a negative impact and influence on others rather than a positive, he says that grieves the Holy Spirit of God. 
And that's why it is so essential that you and I realize that if we're going to bring glory to God in the church and we're going to make a positive impact and influence on other people around us, we've got to intentionally put on that new nature every day and live in our super suit, if you will, that God has given us rather than try to live life by the old nature. Because the old nature will fail every time. It's our flesh. And our flesh will fail us every time. But this new nature that God gives us, more, more than meets the challenge of living, no matter what it is. And so we see here now today, what are the powers, if you will, that God gives us through this new nature? Notice, first of all, verse 25. Therefore, having laid aside falsehood, each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. We have the power to speak truth into this world, into people's lives. Think about that. He says, why do you go on speaking what is false when you and I, through the word of God, through our relationship with God, we have the truth. We have a relationship with the truth and the way and the life, Jesus Christ. And we have his truth, the Bible, in our hands. And Jesus said, when you and I know the truth, it is this truth that can set men free. It is his truth that transforms and changes our life. It is his truth that changes everything. It can change our minds. It can change our attitudes. It can change our perspective. It can give us hope. It can give us peace. It can give us joy. This all comes from his truth. And therefore, we need to make sure that we're in an environment where we are hearing the truth spoken. But it also means that we have the power to be able to speak the divine reality of God into this world. We have the ability, we have the opportunity to speak truth into people's lives. Are we doing it? Are we sharing the truth of God in this world with others when we get the opportunity? In every and any way that we can, we must not forget that this is a great trust that God gives us. And God says, will you keep speaking truth and get my truth out there in the world no matter what? My word is powerful. The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, the book of Hebrews says. Divides to the asunder of soul and spirit, into the joints and marrow. God's word is power, my friends. And we need to speak that power into our lives and into other people's lives. And then notice what he goes on to say. Verse 26. Be angry. Maybe for the very first time in your Christian life, I want you to know this morning that God gives you permission to be angry. Because some of you have grown up in a Christian environment where you thought it was ungodlike and unspiritual to be angry at all. No. No. Now we're going to see some things about this, but God says to us, I have given you the ability through the new man to be angry, but not sin. That's a great power. 
Some of you suppress your anger about the things you really should be angry about because somehow you have bought into the fact that I'm not being spiritual if I'm angry. No. We're spiritual if we allow our anger to cross over into sin, but we are commanded by God in our new nature to be angry over some things. And it really goes back to the context of basing it on truth. If there is such a thing as truth, then that means there are things that are false. And the things that should make me angry, especially, are when God's truth is attacked. And when we try to replace in our world God's truth with what is not true. And when we begin to call good evil and evil good. Let me give you an example of something that I got angry about this past week. Lisa and I got an update on our affordable health care <laughs> that isn't quite as affordable as it used to be. And you know what our new policy said? It said that they won't cover me going to get my eyes examined anymore, but if I want to change my gender from a male to a female, they'll cover that. I'm angry about that. We as Christians, there are things that we should be angry about because they attack the very nature of God and His truth. And we are living in a world and in a country, again, where what, according to God, is evil is being called good, and what God calls good is being called evil. And that should anger us. By the way, the word anger here in the original language means to have a settled opposition against something. The same kind of anger that God has and yet never sins. See, God has, being truth, God, and being holy, God has a settled opposition against things. And why? Because He only has our best interest at heart. God says, these are things that will hurt you. I'm opposed to those things. The things that God are for are the things that really will bless our life and fulfill and satisfy us and give us meaning and give us the highest quality of life we can that Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And so when something comes up, that is not in agreement with God, God has a settled opposition against that. And he will obviously never change because it's wrong. And if it's wrong before God, then it's always wrong. And it always will be wrong. And there is a right and a wrong. And God says, it's time to be angry about things and, and display a settled opposition as I do. But then he goes on to say, but do not sin. Because there is a righteous anger that arises from God and his word an anger like Jesus displayed when he cleared the temple out and said, my father's house will be a house of prayer, not a house of, uh, of, of where people are basically exploiting each other. But there is such a thing as anger that arises from our flesh. 
And God says, that's not of the new nature. That's of the old flesh. That's of the old nature. And when you and I allow anger, this, this uncontrolled emotion to get the best of us, and we do not restrain that emotion or keep it under control or deal with it, then that power can cause a lot more damage than it can good. And that's why God says, be angry, but do not sin. In fact, do not let the sun even go down on that kind of anger. If it's an anger that has arisen from God, okay. But if it's an anger that arises from the flesh, then put it to bed before you go to bed. Make sure that you and God have dealt with it and you have put it to bed. You have, you have rested it in God and not allowed it to settle. Because God has already told us in this passage, when we don't live by the new nature rather than the old nature, our anger can really become ugly at times. In fact, I'm going to skip down. I want you to go down to verse 31. Where he says, we must put away, we must lay aside every kind of bitterness, resentment. Literally in the original, it speaks of poison. Because we know that that's really when, when you and I become bitter, because we're not dealing with anger or frustration or whatever the right way, then it becomes a poison in our life that not only can infect us, it can infect others as well. If you're around bitter people long enough, you'll start to become bitter yourself. And then he says, also lay aside anger. This word for anger is a different word. It means rage. And we live in a world of rage today. It's why we talk about things like road rage and stuff. People are so angry and so frustrated and so upset right below the surface that it doesn't take but something little to just set them off and like there, pull out a gun and start doing really bad things. Because there's a, there's simmering all the time. That's the old nature. That's rage. Wrath, he says. Get rid of it. Get rid of, of seeking vengeance on each other. Get rid of tearing one another down. Get rid of screaming at one another. That's what the words mean, quarreling. An evil, slanderous talk. Stop doing it, he says. That's the old man. That's not the new man. Instead, he says, be kind to one another. Be easy to get along with. And compassionate. Tender-hearted. Sympathetic. Empathetic. See, God says, be angry. But make sure it's anger that has arisen from me. And not your flesh. Have a subtle opposition to the things that I'm opposed to and, and stand up and stick up for the things that are right and be passionate about that. But don't let this emotion called anger arise from your flesh and stay there very long because it can do a lot, a lot of damage. Which is why, notice in the context, then, if you go back up to verse 27, he says right after about making sure that we have the right kind of anger and that we learn to deal with anger if it doesn't arise from God and to restrain that emotion, he says, do not give the devil an opportunity. Literally, don't give the devil power in your life that the devil couldn't have unless you gave it to him. 
And what's the foothold many times that the devil will come in and begin to get a foothold in our lives? Through our uncontrolled, unspirit-filled, controlled, unrestrained emotions. Now, God made us emotional. And God wants us to be emotional, but he wants to make sure that those emotions are always under the control of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we give the devil power in our lives that the devil wouldn't have. Which leads me to this next very important point. One of the things you and I have to realize in our new nature as Christians is we have in our new nature power over the devil. The devil never has any power in our life unless, like here, we give it to him. That's why the Bible says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. That's why John says, you who are children of God, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. See, in our new nature, in this super suit, we can stand against the devil. It's why Paul takes that whole book of Ephesians that we're going to look at several weeks from now about the armor of God. And that the fact that God has given us every provision and resource in him to be able to stand when we are attacked by the devil and when we go through spiritual warfare and to remain standing and to hold our ground spiritually and not give an inch to the devil. How can you and I do that? The devil is very powerful. Yes, he is. But in our new nature, through Christ, we are more powerful than him. And if the devil's gotten a foothold in your life, It's because you and I gave him that foothold. We gave him that power. It's not because he automatically has it. Somewhere along the line, we were operating in our old nature rather than the new nature. And so Paul says, do you realize, Christian, that this new nature gives us the power to speak truth? It gives us the power to to properly show the emotions and when to show them of God and what to get emotional and passionate about. And then we have the power to be able to stand against the devil and his schemes in our life and not give him any power in our life. And then verse 28, he says, you have another power. You have the power that God has given us the ability to put forth great effort to work, but not to work for ourselves, not to work to accumulate more for us, but to give away and to share. Notice he says, the one who, mu- who steals must steal no longer. Rather, he must labor. That speaks about work hard. Again, work ethic. And he says, to work doing good with his own hands so that, so that it's not just about accumulating things for us, but so that he or she may have something to share with the one who has a need. What power God has given us to be able to bless other people's lives by sharing and giving away what God has blessed us with. To not keep it to ourselves. To live with an open hand. To share and give. And isn't that what Jesus even taught? It's more blessed to give than to receive. I think about the blessing that God gave me when I received that check from Uncle Bob. But can I tell you, I bet Uncle Bob felt more blessed because he was able to give it. There's a power there. Sometimes when I'm out and about and I see people doing kind things for other people, first of all, in our society, it's like, what do you want? You have to want something. You're not just being kind to me for no reason, right? But then once they get past that and really know this person is just being like a pay it forward type thing, maybe at a coffee shop where someone just picks up the tab for someone. In fact, I see that actually most often 
at the coffee shop down here off the 202 and power simply because they're close to Williams Field and there's a lot of military people there. And so they'll come in and I see folks or every once in a while maybe I'll take the opportunity to just buy someone a a coffee or something just to thank them for for their service or whatever. But you think about that. What, what, What power we have that we can share our lives and we can share our resources and we can give our lives away as Jesus gave His away. And you think about it. Jesus, really, materially speaking, never had much of this world's goods. In fact, He even said, I don't even have a place normally to lay my head at night. But I give myself away. I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And we still are in affected by the life of Jesus today. Lives are still being changed through Him and His selfless giving and sacrifice. Because there's power in that. There's power in that. And then, this may be the most important power God gives us in our new nature. The power to control whatever comes out of our mouth. Because even James says, You want to show me a mature Christian? He said, I'll show you a mature believer. It's the one who can control what they say. Because he says, you must let, verse 29, no unwholesome word come out. Not one out of your mouth, but only what is beneficial for the building up of the one in need. See, what comes out of our mouth should build people up, not tear them down. That it may give grace, be a blessing to those who hear. And folks, that means not only the one who I'm actually talking to, it means the ones who are listening in around us. It should afford joy and pleasure and delight when we speak rather than what we just talked about in verse 31. Let rage and anger and wrath and quarreling and all this kind of evil and slanderous talk be put away. Don't speak like that anymore. Learn that through the new nature, this divine nature that God gives us, we can actually control what comes out of our mouth at all times. And we can choose... To speak what builds others up and what gives grace rather than to tear people down and destroy them. And we know that to be true. Because any of us who have lived a few days on earth know that we've been on the other end of that. We've been hurt by the words of others. And the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And God wants us through our new nature, this super suit that He's given us, to be able to speak truth and to speak life to people into this world, not to speak death. What a power God gives us if we use it correctly. And then finally this morning, verse 32. Forgiving one another just as God in Christ also forgave you. Wow. You see, 
God considers the ability to be able to forgive others a power. Because it is. By the way, this word forgive means to be gracious or to extend favor. Very interestingly, the word for forgive in the New Testament has in it the word for grace. So God is saying to us, you have been recipients of my grace. I have not treated you and your sins as I could have. And if you are in Christ, you realize that all your sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven. I'm not holding any of them against you. I'm not going to ever retaliate or or seek vengeance or anything against you. I have pardoned you. I have wiped them away. I have buried them in the depths of the sea. And so God says to us as his followers, if I have extended my grace to you in that way, then if you're going to follow me, and we can only do this in our new super suit, not ever in the flesh, then I want you to continuously extend grace and give favor to others when it comes to the things they've done for you. Now, folks, again, I could do a whole message on forgiveness or maybe a whole series on forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't mean we trust a person. Forgiveness might even mean that they don't, again, they, they probably don't deserve it. That's the whole idea of forgiveness. We, we didn't deserve God's forgiveness either, but he gave it to us. It's not about them deserving it. It's not even about them maybe even asking for it. Maybe they'll never ask to be forgiven for what they've done. Maybe they'll even never know that we did forgive them. Because here's the thing about forgiveness. Forgiveness actually benefits the one who's doing the forgiving more than it does the person who's been forgiven. And I want you to look at in your mind at that word forgive. And I want you to concentrate on the last four letters because that's really what it is. It's a gift. Forgive. It's something that God did for us as a gift. We didn't deserve it. And it's something God now in our new nature wants us to do to others. Again, primarily not even for them, but for us. Because here's the reason why. When you and I choose to accept all of God's grace, And say, God, just please pass over that sin. Don't hold that against me. Don't don't give me the consequences for that like it should be. But then we want God to come down hard on other people. You realize that breaks then our fellowship with God. And then what begins to happen is we begin to suffer the effects of being a person who is willing to accept God's grace and favor all the time, but never willing to extend it to others. And again, what the Bible teaches is simply this. If I choose to live that way as a Christian, I'm going to start suffering for that. I am going to start paying the consequences for that. And I will start suffering physically, emotionally, and spiritually due to a lack of forgiveness of others. I believe this with all my heart that there are Christians who are suffering physically, emotionally, and spiritually in their life because they choose not to forgive others even though they are so willing to accept God's forgiveness for what they've done. And God says, 
My standard for you in this new nature, this super suit, is not that you forgive others if they deserve it. And not that you forgive others if, if they ask for it. It's to forgive others because God has forgiven us. That's the standard. That's the standard. Again, it, it doesn't mean that the relationship has to be the same and everything has to be as if nothing ever happened. No, no, no. That's a whole separate issue. Again, forgiveness benefits us. The forgiver may be more than it does the person who's forgiven. Because if we don't forgive, that lack of forgiveness or unforgiving spirit in our life will not benefit us spiritually between us and God. And it will eat us up from the inside out. Here's what Paul's saying here. I want to use the illustration of when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus had been dead. He was in his grave clothes. And Jesus came to the tomb. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And his friend Lazarus, who had been dead, came out of that tomb, but still in his grave clothes. And basically, Jesus said, now, let's change those clothes. Let's get him out of the grave clothes and let's put on another set of clothes. Because those clothes now would be no longer uh, suitable. You don't wear around clothes that, that have that stench of death in them anymore. You're alive. And God is saying to us as his children, you realize that I took you out of those grave clothes and now I've given you grace clothes. Don't live those with those grave clothes anymore. Live in the grace clothes that I've given you. Put on the new man which has been created in Christ's image in righteousness and holiness that comes from truth. Would you stand with me and let's pray. And as we stand, our worship team's going to come and Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your truth, your word. And God, we thank you for your grace in our lives, the favor that you've extended to us. And God, we thank you that when we accepted Christ as our Savior, you gave us this new nature. We are partakers of your divine nature. We don't have to live in our grave clothes any longer. We don't have to live like we did before we came to Christ. We now as Christians, we have a choice every day, every moment of the day. We can live like the old man and in the old man and in those grave clothes, exhibiting the behavior of the fallen nature, or we can choose to live in your grace clothes that you've provided for us. And clothes that exhibit our new nature in Christ. And the, the Christ-like nature that we can have. The choice is up to us. And God, you have taught us very clearly that this new nature that you gave us 
You didn't just give it to us for our benefit. You gave it to us so that we could put it on every day so that our life could more positively impact and influence all those people around us. So that when we come into your kingdom, we come sweeping into your kingdom with people all around us who will say, I'm here because of them. Or I am the woman or the man that I am because of their influence and their impact in my life. That's what this life is all about. How many people will be in heaven and will be the people that they are in heaven because of our life here on earth? God, take our life. Make it count for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.